0: Let us pray. God, as we hear your word, may we trust in you with all our heart and rely not on our own insight. Speak to us, we pray, and make straight our paths. Amen. Our second reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Let us listen together for God's word to us. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would reckon as righteous the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now it is evident that no one is reckoned as righteous before God by the law or for the one who is righteous will live by faith. But the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a couple who was planning to decorate their living room with some nice and expensive wallpaper. They had a friend who had recently decorated a similar size space with the same wallpaper and so they went to that friend and they asked how many rolls of the wallpaper she had bought she told them she had bought eight rolls so they went to the store they bought eight rolls took them home for their own living room and as they were papering their walls they got to uh, about halfway through the fourth roll and had finished the room with four rolls left over they were irritated by this so they went to their friend and they said You told us to buy eight rolls. We only needed four. And she said, I know exactly how you feel. I had the exact same problem. (laughs) What happens when we ask the wrong question? Even the right answer isn't very helpful to us. We've been talking about the Galatian church, Paul's letter to this early Christian community. And I've been focusing us on the ways that their religion has become an impediment to love. and has become an impediment to faithfulness. And one way that we might think about religion is as a sort of pre-established uh, uh, means of addressing some of our deepest questions. For instance, imagine you want to make a lasagna and you've never made a lasagna before. And so in order to start down this path, you go and you ask uh, experts, you collect the wisdom of others. You ask mom and grandma and then you consult the treasure of all treasures, the church cookbook that's probably 20 years old but you wouldn't give it up for your life. And you gather around all the wisdom you can about lasagna. Then you consult other authoritative texts, like other cookbooks. And eventually you feel like you have enough and you make your first lasagna. And it's not the best, but it's a step in the right direction. And over time, as you make more and more lasagnas and you make notes as you go, what you do is you hone the perfect lasagna. And you have created the perfect lasagna recipe. So if someone comes to you someday down the road and shows you their lasagna recipe, which is different from yours, you'll look at that and you'll say, that's not lasagna. And if someone comes to you with a casserole dish full of enchiladas, they'll look at your enchiladas and they'll say, you made your lasagna all wrong. You rolled it up instead of layering it. You set out to answer a question, how to make lasagna without thinking about the fact that that is really a second order question, a third order question. The real question, the question that is underneath that question, the question that led you to want to cook a lasagna in the first place is how can I provide a delicious meal that will bring my family together that will delight our sense of taste and will fill our bellies And of course the answer to that is lasagna or it's pot roast or it's tamales or it's a barbecue ribs or it's a million other things your lasagna recipe and your fierce commitment to it had preserved the answer to the wrong question. And it led you to forget that deeper question, led you you to forget the reason you wanted to make that lasagna in the first place. And this is how religion functions. Yes, you heard it here first, religion is like lasagna. If you're taking notes, that's what you write down. This is how religion functions, it grows out of a question. It collects the wisdom of others through the ages. It compiles authoritative texts. Each step of the way, we add layers of tradition on top of it. It attracts a community of fellow travelers, and it equips and empowers those travelers for the journey. I want to go on record as saying, I endorse religion. But what I've just said can describe good religion and bad religion. Healthy vibrant religion and unhealthy religion because religion is an instrument it's not the question that got everything started and it's also not the goal toward which we are trying to move it is a well-worn path it is a tried and true recipe so the critical point What is the question that is behind it? What is the question that we are trying to preserve and embody? Because if we are asking the wrong question, then even the right answer won't be very useful to us. The Galatians knew how to make an excellent lasagna, but they did not know how to throw a party. They had fine-tuned the, recipe, the, the pathway toward the inclusion of others into God's family. But they had lost any sense of why pursuing others was worthwhile. They had lost any sense of why the blessing of God is worth sharing. We all approach life with profound questions. And these questions, whatever they may be, they give shape To us. They direct our action and our hope and our allegiances. They determine our pursuits in life. They even determine the things that we deify, the things that we worship. These are powerful questions. Questions like Who am I? Or Why am I? Or What are my gifts? And how should I put my gifts to use? What is goodness? What is beauty? What is holiness? What is a moral life? Is a moral life, this day and age, even worth pursuing? And out of these questions, we take them all. They grow out of us, and we take them, and we make lasagna. We construct Religion to preserve the gains of the past, to learn from the wisdom of others, to guide us in the midst of perplexity, to ground us in the midst of seasons of turbulent change. And our religion will do one of two things. It will either keep those deep questions alive in us Or it will lead us to forget why we started down this path in the first place. It's important to note that when Paul is talking about the law, he's not entirely fair to the Jewish people. And Christian history is a long example of taking the law and misunderstanding it and misunderstanding the Jewish people Paul used the law very often as a kind of straw man he set it up in its weakest form so that he could argue against it so that he could use it as a foil for his development of Christian theology for Paul the law was a flawed system that couldn't get us where we need to go which is for him of course salvation But for Israel, that was never part of the question. Salvation was always God's prerogative. The law for Israel was never about getting us to salvation. For Israel, the law helped us with covenant faithfulness. And covenant faithfulness is about maintaining and broadening God's favor, God's blessing. And when that system breaks down, it's not because the law is of no value. It's not because the law is ineffectual. Last week, when we were in chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul said, Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul is crediting the law with his transformation and his ability to see God and the world with new eyes. The breakdown of the system of the law is thinking that God's favor, God's blessing is the special possession of one people. And that the law can then be used as a tool for exclusion, a tool to maintain the exclusiveness of a chosen people. And that begins to sound an awful lot like the Galatian church. The Galatians are falling back on a broken down System. They're falling back on a recipe that diminishes God and excludes others. They're falling back on an impoverished version of a very rich tradition. So Paul says to them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having started with the spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? they're repeating the errors of the past only they've just translated those errors into a christian idiom they still presume to have possession of the favor of god they still presume to be able to determine who has access to that favor and that blessing so paul teacher that he is takes them back to the beginning not to moses which was the beginning of the law, but even further back because the law, he knows, is not going to get them where they need to go. He goes back to Abraham, to Abraham and the blessing of God. Because maybe they all thought that this is all about the law, but Paul wants them to see that there's something behind it. That if this whole thing is built around the question, how do I obey the law? There's a prior question, even before that, a deeper and more profound question that set all of this into motion in the first place. A question that religion has tended to bury. That the Galatians are working even now, again, to bury. The question is not, how do I obey? The question is not, how do I obtain my own eternal salvation? The question is, how do I experience the blessing of God? And how can God's blessing be extended to others? And Paul wants us to see that this is what we learn from Abraham. In Genesis, God says to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For Israel, religion begins with the law, but it leads to covenant faithfulness, which brings about the unfolding of God's favor, not just to Israel, but to all the families of the earth. And Paul sees that as the heart of of the religion and he wants to honor the question that lies behind this good and valuable tradition that made him who he was at that time and it's not just the question at the heart of Judaism it's the question at the heart of Christianity it's the question at the heart of the human experience but now he sees a church that has forgotten the question and he wants to offer them a new recipe Because he has discovered something astounding, something surprising in the cross of Jesus Christ. He sees now, looking through the cross, that things are turned around, that the order of things has shifted, that God's blessing and favor is not the end, it's not the goal, it's the very beginning. God's favor, God's blessing is poured out on Abraham for no apparent reason. None whatsoever, which sounds an awful lot like what Paul likes to call grace. And the grace of God to Abraham leads to the response of faith. And the response of faith brings about the unfolding of righteousness and justice and goodness and love in the world which is to say it brings about God's favor for all, God's blessing for all the families of the earth. What happens when we ask the wrong question? What happens when our religion enshrines the wrong question? We come up with all kinds of answers, all the right ones, all kinds of good, right answers that are not helpful at all. We make a perfect lasagna that'll feed a dozen at least. But God wants us to prepare a feast for everyone. If we start with the wrong question and choose to simply follow the recipe, we will never truly know the full and rich blessings of God. And that's bad religion. That's broken religion. But religion can be good. Religion can be beautiful. It can keep the real questions, the deep questions alive in us, the meaningful questions, the powerful questions that shape us. Questions like, who am I? And what is being asked of me? How can I be shaped by righteousness and justice and goodness and love? And how can we together bring about more of that beauty in this broken world What does it mean to experience the blessing of God and how can others share in that blessing? John Caputo writes, God is not the answer, but the question to which we are to be the response. That's our job. Not to answer the questions of theology And doctrine, the questions of who's right and who's wrong, the questions of who's in and who's out, those are all second order lasagna type questions. Our job is to keep the big questions alive in us and to let our lives be a loving and gracious response. Let us pray. God, continue to take us and shape us and reshape us that our lives might be a faithful response to what you have done, a loving and a gracious response that extends your blessing to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.